Canucks and Qatar is brought to you by Pathways Alliance. Climate change is a critical challenge, so Canada's six largest oil sands companies have joined forces on a path to net zero. See how at pathwaysalliance.ca. Hello and welcome to episode three of Canucks in Qatar, the SCORE soccer podcast dedicated to everything in and around Canada's men's national team at the 2022 World Cup. I'm your host, Gianluca Neshi, and on today's episode, Talking Tactics, we'll take a deep dive into Canada's squad, breaking down the strengths, weaknesses, and lingering lineup questions, and we'll talk to Canadian midfielder Jonathan Osorio about his expectations going into the tournament and his role as one of the veteran players helping to lead John Herdman's young team. To discuss all that and more, I'm joined by the only member of our Motley crew who can keep up with Alfonso Davies in a foot race. Mr. Michael Chandler is here. Hello, how are you? I thought, <laughs> I thought you were going to say that I'm the veteran of our crew leading this. That is accurate. That is accurate. Young um, team. It's just the, uh, just the two of us today. We can make it if we try. Oh, building castles in the sky <laughs> or World Cups in a desert. Whatever there you, you prefer. There you go. I think we have to decide first off, if, if we're, uh, what are we, like a center back pairing? We're a, a Rafa Varane and a Lissandro Martinez. Obviously, I'm Lissandro Martinez at five foot, what is he, five foot seven? Slightly taller than that, but. In um, heels. I think we're more of a midfield pivot. <laughs> a pivot, a double pivot, right? John Luca is a very creative player, me less so. <laughs> so I can shield that back line while he there you uh, go. Yeah, plays the registra uh, Let's get John Herdman on the phone. Call us up here for this tournament. I, I was considering, you know, like an old school strike partnership, but I don't think that fits as well. I it, like the pivot. It does not. There you go. All right, Chandler, uh, uh, let's jump into it here. So far in this series, we've looked back on Canada's qualification run. We explored the history of football in this country. But from here on out, I think it's really time to get down to the nitty gritty ahead of the World Cup. And I think the obvious place to start is with the squad itself. Now, listeners, we're recording this before Canada announces its final 26-man roster. Um, but by and large, you know, I think we know the makeup of this team outside of a couple fringe players. We're not expecting any massive surprises with that squad announcement, right? So Chandler, with that in mind, let's start from a pure talent perspective. You know, how does Canada stack up with the rest of the field? Are we going to be accused of wearing rose-tinted glasses if we say this is roughly like a middle-of-the-pack team here? No, I don't think that's too inaccurate of a point. Like sort of, I would estimate Canada's squad maybe in the bottom half of the middle tier of the 32 competing nations in Qatar. And if you want to break it down in terms of those like super arbitrary tiers that are both maddening, but also make for incredible mm -hmm. content, um, I would say Canada has one world-class player in Alfonso Davies. Uh, and arguably two, maybe three other quote-unquote great players in Stephen Eustachio, Jonathan David, and Tejan Buchanan. Many of the other 31 nations in Qatar will boast deeper, more skill sides, though if we're comparing them to some of the lesser halves in the tournament, I would take Canada's squad over Saudi Arabia, Costa Rica, Qatar for sure, maybe Ghana, Tunisia, Cameroon, South Korea, Australia, Iran. 
Ecuador. I'm just listing off countries. <laughs> Every this single point. team. <laughs> what about Japan? Maybe Morocco, who will get a chance to really, you know, a proper litmus test in comparison there. And even Wales. So, I mean, that's roughly 12 or 13 nations. So I think that, yeah, bottom half of the middle of the pack, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, let's be frank. This is not France who <laughs> have like three or four squads deep that could win the entire tournament. Well, who announced their squad yeah, today that's right. when we're recording. And that midfield, uh, Jordan Veritut, huh? come on the show. But yeah. uh, we'll <laughs> Roma, Roma legend and Anthony Lopopolo's most disliked player, or at least one of them. Um, <laughs> it's a so, long list. <laughs> yeah, it is a very long list. That's true. Like, yeah, they're not France, but they're they're not Qatar. You know, they're not Qatar. They're not Saudi Arabia. Some of these other teams that you mentioned. So, you know, of course, we're we're somewhat biased here in discussing Canada, and we want them to do as well as possible and make as deep a run as possible. But I don't think it's it's too um, unfair to to slot them in kind of exactly where you did there. And you mentioned Alfonso Davies. I want to go back to Saturday morning. You see Davies pull up and, and reach for his hamstring in Bayern's game against Hertha Berlin. And all of the expletives were flying between Lopo and I on our uh, in our remote offices. Hearts are sinking. Sphincters are tightening across the country. You were off the clock at the time, I assume frolicking around the city, enjoying the, the lovely weekend weather we had. So when you get that, that push alert about his injury from the Score app available on iOS and Android, what's your immediate reaction? Well, actually, I was glued to the computer because <laughs> I never log off. Yeah. <laughs> but my reaction was um, equal parts, I guess, measured and melancholic. Um, and this is what happens when you have a major international tournament smack dab in the middle of a domestic campaign. And look, that's not to say that injuries are unique to this installment and not the ones that occur typically in the summer months. But um, of course, we're going to witness an uptick in injuries because we're playing league games so close to the start of the World Cup. Right and up to the final week, a week before. Exactly. It's nuts, man. <laughs> and, and so my initial reaction was I was pretty bummed you know, TBH. And then I just thought Davies was going to miss the entire tournament because hamstring injuries are so problematic and can be so fickle. Uh, and then I was ready to add his name to sort of a laundry list of bona fide world-class players who were going to miss this tournament. Uh, the likes of Sadio Mane, uh, well, Timo Werner, maybe I shouldn't have said world-class before I said Timo <laughs> Werner, but uh, Diogo Jota, N'Golo Kante, Reese James, Ginny Wijnaldum. My uh, guy, Paul Pogba, yeah. Yeah, if you will. So, uh, I mean, you could form a really, really good starting 11 of players missing out you know through injury so i was really concerned we we're going to miss out and and this is sort of canada's bow on the world stage yeah. and and we would like the team to be uh, at its healthiest and to be able to field its best 11 and not get you know battered by belgium and croatia while all eyes are on us so um I am elated to see that in um, Bayern Munich's statement about his injury. They said they would hold him out for the final two Bundesliga uh, matches of the campaign to sort of rest him up and that he should be fit for the World Cup. How fit? We don't know. That's the biggest question. I mean, I do think we dodged an enormous bullet um, because immediately after that game, when you hear Bayern saying, oh, he's got a torn 
muscle fiber in his hamstring, that's, you know, extremely, extremely scary. Yeah, that German English uh, translation oh, was a, a real harbinger a of lot doom, of, if you will. A lot of consternation in this and country. I mean, for all the uh, medical professionals listening in, yes, a strain is technically a tear. And I think there are three sort of levels to mm-hmm. that. And it would sound like Davies is sort of the uh, the least dire of those three levels. But yeah, I was, I was not happy. Yeah, thank you for listening into this session with a pair of noted MDs, Chandler and myself. Um, you're right though, like realistically, he gets injured two weeks out from their opening game or just over two weeks out from their opening game. 100% fit against Belgium? I doubt it. It's possible he might not even play that game. Um, in an ideal world, he's 100% for, for all three of them. I don't know how realistic that is. Um, so, you know, we were talking a little bit off mic before we jumped on here about could he maybe be something of a decoy or, or a super sub for that first match in a worst case scenario? I guess worst case scenario is he's not available at all, but some of the other teams would still have to plan for him, even if he's not going to be um, as influential as as he always is when he starts for Canada. So look, he's going to be in the squad by the time this comes out. Again, you'll know what the squad is. You'll see Davies name there. So he's going to be there. No question about it. <laughs> it's just a, a big downer to go into this tournament that we're all so excited for that your marquee superstar perhaps will not be 100%. But all things considered, at the end of the day, it could have been so, so much worse. And like we saw with, you, you said, Scott Kennedy, um, Maxime Crepeau, unfortunately broke his leg in the MLS Cup final. You know, best wishes to him. We hope he heals up as quickly as possible. Obviously not going to the World Cup. So again, it just kind of really hammers home the idea that a World Cup during the club season and when the club season ends literally seven days before the opening match of the World Cup... Let's not do this again, guys. Let's um, no more bribes from any interested nations in hosting this tournament. And uh, let's keep this thing in the summer. Yeah, no more bribes, FIFA. But yeah, <laughs> just to sum it up, it was a downer, but life imitates art. So <laughs> we're really dragging the mood down. We love it. All right, let's get a little more sort of granular with this team. And assuming, I know we just talked about all the injuries in Davies, but assuming all these guys are fit and they're available one way or another, I think you're going to see a lineup that looks very similar to the one they used in the friendly against Uruguay back in September. So you got Milan Borian in goal. I mean, that's the lock of the century. Put your mortgage on it. Uh, back three of Alistair Johnston, friend of the pod, uh, Stephen Vittoria, Kamal Miller, Richie Laria, and Sam Atakubi as the wingbacks. I think you have Eustachio and Atiba Hutchinson, you know, the captain and the leader in the middle of the park. Um, he's not played for Besiktas. And he's coming back from injury himself. That's something that Chandler and I will discuss. But after that, I think, is when things get really interesting. Obviously, Davies, assuming fitness, is there. Jonathan David is there. Is Davies going to have a free role like he did against Uruguay? Is he going to play predominantly out on the left wing? And then does that other spot up front, does it go to Kyle Lahren, all-time leading scorer for the men's team? Does one of Tejon Buchanan or Junior Hoylett come in? and start in a more kind of well-defined front three? Or does Jonathan Osorio come in, you know, add an extra body in midfield who can also push forward, play as a number 10? Chandler, what are some of the the lingering questions or concerns you have about this squad and, and this potential starting 11 right now? Yeah, that's a good question, John Luke. And I trust John Herdman will make the right call with those sort of wealth of attacking options. And you mentioned Kyle Lahren, who's barely played uh, with Club Bruges, where he is a teammate of Tejon Buchanan, um, 
but I think he plays an important role despite not playing a lot for his club team and sort of that central focus point. Now they may, that may differ between, you know, Belgium, Croatia or Morocco. Mm-hmm. And there's also a lot of questions. I, I think a lot of people are sort of in terms of Canada's weakness, really putting the emphasis on that back three of Johnson, Vittoria and Miller. But I'm kind of worried about the midfield as well. I suspect uh, Herdman's going to opt for a midfield pivot, so two guys in that position. And Steven Eustachio, who's been in brilliant, brilliant club form with Porto this season, is the only one that I can write into that team, or you know what I mean? Rock chalk, like he's in there. He's the only one that I really have faith in at the moment. Uh, Atiba Hutchinson, like you said, like he's the elder statesman of the team. He's 39 years old, but he's barely played this year for Besiktas, which is a big concern. Uh, and then you could fill in that final role with maybe Sam Piette, Mark Anthony K, Jonathan Osorio. Um, but I'm concerned or I have small concerns, like not to take anything away from uh, their skill sets, but I have small concerns about each of them pairing with Eustachio uh, in that role. So uh, there's a lot of questions about that midfield. We'll know more when that starting 11 comes out an hour prior to kickoff against mm-hmm. Belgium, but some sort of lingering questions and I definitely did not answer any of them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, you did. You did. And I think that midfield point is a good one, especially because of the teams that they're going to come up against, right? You said Belgium off the top in that first match, November 23rd, right away, Kevin De Bruyne comes to mind. You know, who else will be in that midfield? Maybe Yuri Tielemans, Axel Witzel is going to play until he's a thousand years old for the national team. So he'll probably be there in some capacity. And then it doesn't get any easier. You go up against Croatia in the following game, that midfield might arguably be more impressive. Right. You than have a Belgium's. Ballon d'Or winner and Man. the ultimate shithousery merchant, uh, Mateo Kovacic. Yeah, like Modric, Kovacic, Brozovic. Um, Yikes. Yeah, it's, it's extremely talented. And that's to take nothing away from the rest of that Croatian team, which was also just announced. And no Ante Rebic, they don't have to deal with him. Again, shout out to Lopo, Milan fan. But it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult once they get to Qatar to deal with with the opposing midfields, which as we all know, you control the midfield more or less, you control the match. And it's going to be really difficult for them to do that, at least in those first two games. So who comes in? We hope Atiba Hutchinson can get to something approaching full fitness with another week or two preparation. And then he's just going to have to, John Herdman and staff are just going to have to, um, you know, make decisions based on what they see in training, who looks good in training what they specifically want to do tactically in those games. And and some of those guys you mentioned earlier offer very different things and different skill sets. So, um, yeah, I think in, in talking to you just now, I'm more worried than I was like half an hour ago. Great. Uh, (laughs) And of course, we're not even mentioning who's one of my tournament wildcards, which I know you're a big fan of him. So maybe we'll touch upon that later, but Ishmael Kone. Yeah, we are going to discuss Ishmael Kone a little bit later. And we have a, a special interview clip coming up for that. I mean, it's somebody who I know our colleague Daniel Rouse is extremely excited about as well. 20-year-old rising star for CF Montreal. Um, I always want to call them the Montreal Impact still, but CF Montreal, this kid's going to be an absolute superstar. I think he can be a real X factor in Qatar, and we will touch on him in the second half of this episode. Before we get to that, though, um, we're going to fire up our interview with Jonathan Osorio in just a minute here. And one of the things that he talked about here was flexibility and the ability to adapt to different styles within the game. You know, they can sit back, they can use a deep block of five, try to hit you on the break with pace, which they have in spades. They can press high, which we've seen in in some of their pre-tournament friendlies, um, win the ball back in dangerous areas. So, you know, there's going to be ebbs and flows throughout each of these games. But 
What do you think is the best way for this team to approach the game tactically to kind of maximize their chances of getting results? What would you say is their biggest strength? Well, for me, John Lucan has to be sort of their strength in attacking from wide areas out on those wings. We have several players in the squad, or what I presume will make the squad, uh, the likes of Alfonso Davies and Tejan Buchanan, who are quite quick and can win 1v1 duels that then put themselves and their teammates in uh, dangerous attacking positions. But one player that uh, I was really, really impressed with during the qualifiers and whose stock rose more than any other Canadian players was Sam Adekugbe. Whether Herdman goes with a back four or the back three with two wing backs, which I'm almost certain he will mm-hmm. do. Adekugbe can play either of those positions on the left side of the defense. And despite a small sample size, he's proved that he struck some really good chemistry with Alfonso Davies on that left side. So uh, Adekugbe's having a really great campaign with his club side, Hatea Spor in Turkey. So he's going to be coming into the World Cup fit, uh, match ready. And I would not be shocked if he plays every minute of uh, Canada's um, campaign in Qatar. Yeah, absolutely. And the author of one of the great moments, not only the the infamous uh, Ice Teca leap into the, the snowbank, but also that goal he scored to clinch that win in Hamilton against the U.S., the second goal, just about in stoppage time there, 90th minute, I think. And he's still flying forward on the counterattack to clinch that win over the States. I mean, just the engine on this guy is unbelievable. And yeah, let's hope he really stays fit because he is a, a key, key outlet down that left flank for this team. And a Calgary Flames fan, which, I mean, we all have our tragic yeah. flaws. Nobody, but <laughs> nobody's perfect. I'm willing to overlook <laughs> which that. The, yeah. Which you and the, I can speak to more two, than most. The two Leafs fans say, <laughs> yeah. as they cry into a mug. Oh, man. Oh, man. All right. Um, on that note, go Leafs go. We're going to throw to our interview with Jonathan Osorial, uh, our intrepid reporter and feature writer. Nick Ferris is back with another exclusive interview. Shout out to Nick. He caught up with Jonathan to talk tactics, expectations, and the growth of the men's team since he made his debut back in 2013. Here's the conversation. I hope you enjoy it. All right, Jonathan, uh, you debuted for Canada in, in 2013, and you're one of the leaders of this group heading into the World Cup. How, how have you seen the national team grow from the time you made your debut to now? Like, What's been the biggest area of growth over the past decade? I think it's hard to pinpoint one area. I think we've grown in in all aspects. But I guess the biggest things are, you know, the the culture within the team. You know, the kind of team spirit that we have, the brotherhood that we have, um, is a huge thing that uh, I think has changed. And I wouldn't say changed, but has has improved. You know, has improved a lot, as well as you know the quality as well, the the amount of players that Canada is producing, playing at, at high levels uh, all around the world. And so, you know, all those things are, are, are different now. And the, the, the program, I think, has come a long way. And, and um, yeah, it's definitely thanks to, of course, the everybody involved from, you know, the coaching staff that, that came in, John Herman and his staff, um, to, of course, the, the players and then everybody behind the scenes, of course. So, Everything, I think, on all aspects, it has it has improved since since then. Oh, that makes sense. And you mentioned just the quality of the team, the you know the lineup you guys are going to have. Canada's going to face Belgium, Croatia, and Morocco in in Group F of the World Cup. And I'm curious, like from a talent perspective, how do you think Canada stacks up against you know not only those teams but the rest of the the World Cup field? 
Yeah, I, I think it's it's not as um, well in our eyes. We're not as big underdogs as 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 everybody else sees. But um, you know, for me, we have really good talent on our team, and 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 you know, I think we have now the world stage to show it. Um, you know, if you look at other teams, they have a lot of talents as well. But based on their, you know, their track records and their reputation in world football has allowed a lot of their players to play in certain places and at big clubs. I think our country is still trying to gain that reputation. And, and so you'll see, you know, I hope and I know that, you know, after having a good showing at a World Cup, we will, I think the, our reputation will grow and then we will see a lot more players having the chance to play at really, really good teams around the world. Right. Gotcha. Who's a player in this Canadian team that, in your opinion, people sleep on too much? Like who's a teammate maybe who does things in training that you're excited to see them show off in uh, in Qatar? Oh, um, that's a good one. I think it's tough to say. I mean, a lot of guys, I think, are, are starting to be noticed and getting the credit that that they deserve. So I don't know. I don't necessarily think anybody's sleeping on anybody per se, but I would say you know, one guy that I really, really admire and, and I think, you know, he has such a bright future ahead of him and maybe is getting talked about a lot these days, but I still think he's he's just so good as Jonathan David. People are going to start realizing how good this this player is and, and um, you know, he's going to get the chance soon. He's going to be playing at a big club and everything. So, um, yeah, him, you know, Tejan Bukan is another one that I think uh, people are not sleeping on, but I think people are sleeping on maybe the amount of potential that he actually has. Uh, I think he has the potential to go really, really, really far as well. Oh, for sure. And on the note, talking about Tejon, uh, shifting a bit, I wanted to ask you about Brampton, Ontario. It's, you know, the hub of this national team, basically. You're from there. Tejon is from there. Kyle Laren, Atiba Hutchinson. The list goes on, really. And I was curious to hear your thoughts. Why Why do you think it is that Brampton specifically has produced so much soccer talent? I, I, I have been asked this question so, so, so many times, and I can only give the, 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 the same answer, which is I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know why so many players come from Brampton. Um, I guess it's all I can say, you know, it's a, it's a very diverse place, you know, where, you know, I think it's full of very, um, you know, uh, families with very humble beginnings. And so, you know, it's a, it's a place where, you know, I think you, you have to work for, for everything and you have to work to, to get to the top and, and, and earn your way there. And so I think because of that, you know, a lot of guys have, have uh, fought their way to, to be where they are. And, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of that has to come from the environment that they grew up in and what it is in, in Brampton. Sure. Gotcha. When you were a kid in Brampton, you know, learning the game, falling in love with soccer, what, what did you dream about at that point in your life? I think I dreamed about being a professional footballer and, you know, living my dream as, uh, as living that, living that life. And of course, I, I dreamed of playing in the World Cup. I played, you know, I think every kid does. And and um, and I did too, even though being a Canadian, you know, it was kind of like a long shot, but that didn't, you know, it also was a long shot for a Canadian kid to, to be a professional footballer. So I think all of us 
we dreamed it anyways and we hoped and 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 you know it's gotten us to where we are and it just so happens that there's 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 many of us that dreamed it all around the same you know generation and and it's all come together for us to to get to this point absolutely and talking about reaching this point i wanted to uh i guess hit on the tactical side of things you know looking at this national team what do you think is this team's greatest tactical strength and you know, where do you think you might be able to take advantage a little bit of your opponents in, um, in group F? I think our strength is definitely our, our physical ability. You know, we're a very, very fast team. Uh, we can hurt people in open space and, and, and on the counter or, or when there's open space, when the game opens up, um, you know, I think that's our, our biggest probably weapon. But I think our biggest weapon is that we're very adaptable. We can adapt and we can play in many different ways. So, uh, you know, we can play a little bit more defensive some days and and be really tight, be a tight team. And then we can be a, on another day, a very aggressive uh, offensive team that wants to dominate the ball and, and hurt you that way. So I, I think our biggest weapon is that we are we are very adaptable and we can we can kind of uh, adapt to what the game is giving us. Yeah, that makes sense. Going off that, I mean, earlier you mentioned the the influence of John Herdman and his his coaching staff, the the impression they've left on the program so far. You know, people say John is a transformational leader. He's you know he's from the north of England, but he's led both Canadian national teams, uh, the women's team and the men since taking over in 2018, led them to to new heights. I, I want to get your perspective. Like, what do you think John understands about what it means to play soccer for Canada? Uh, I think he just. You know he's embraced the 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 country and the culture, and I think what he's also you know he's he's taking advantage of the fact that you know we have such a diverse culture, and that means you know different kinds of players, and you're able to have you know different types of players on your team and different kinds of weapons with different strengths and things like that. So he's able to you know use all of that um you know throughout the world cup qualifying cycle and 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 games and um yeah i think you know he's really brought and and he's emphasized that that's a that's a huge weapon that we must embrace as a as players and so it's really brought us together i think the coach has really brought us together um you know he he had the vision of everything that's happening now he had the vision from the beginning and just you know led us on the path towards getting there and and I think that's, you know, that's the biggest thing that he's contributed to, to both, uh, to the whole Canada soccer program. Oh, that makes sense. Now, one of my last questions, uh, just about yourself personally, you know, you've played various midfield roles throughout your career for Canada and for Toronto FC. What do you think is your best position? Like where can you have the greatest influence on the game? Do you think? I think my best position is the position that the coach sees for me in the game. Um, you know, on that day, I make that my best position. And so it, it, it really all depends on what the coach wants from me in, 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 in a certain game. And, um, I think for me, I'm best when I see a lot of the ball and I'm able to be aggressive and get into the box, but also, you know, work really hard and, and help on the defensive side. So, yeah, you know, I can play as an eight, I can play as a 10, I think I can play as a six and, it just all depends on what the coach wants from me on that on on that given day. And last thing here, you've said before that you'll realize a dream in Qatar by playing against 
you know, specifically some midfielders you admire and Kevin De Bruyne, Luka Modric. I'm curious to ask, what emotions have you felt as the tournament draws closer and playing at the World Cup becomes a reality? Yeah, it's getting exciting. I I, I think for me, you know, I've actually, you know, just trying to be focused on every day and trying to get myself ready and, and make sure that I am ready for that stage and and those games. Um, so I've tried not to look too far ahead, but but you know, you can't help it as, as it, as it draws near and, and you start to hear about it more and see things, uh, seeing it popping around more. It's, it's, it's very exciting. It's very, very, very exciting that the world cup is near and, you know, we're going to be able to play in it. All right. Welcome back listeners. I hope you enjoyed that interview. A huge thank you to Jonathan for giving us an inside look uh, into the mindset of this team right now and, and the quiet confidence they have ahead of their opening match on November 23rd against Belgium. You absolutely love to see it. Also, shout out Brampton, Bramley City Center, hugely underrated mall in this city. Yeah, low-key, nice mall. Shout out to my Ching Hoosie fam. <laughs> <laughs> on the topic of Brampton, Nick Ferris, the one and only, has uh, a really great piece coming out on November 16th on the Score app. Just about Brampton and how it has contributed to this national team, I think in a lot of ways, it's the core of of this team. As he said in that interview, you know, several players from Brampton who've grown up there uh, and now have all converged on the national team at the same time. It's it's really exciting. So he's going to look at how that happened, how they all came together at this time and kind of what the circumstances in Brampton that allowed all these players to flourish together within the same generation. So look out for that from Nick Ferris on November 16th. And very quickly, before we continue on here, a reminder, if you haven't already, to download the Score app, where you'll find a treasure trove of content before, during, and after the World Cup, both for Canada and the tournament at large. We'll have you covered on all the happenings in Qatar this winter. All right, Chandler, um, we heard from Jonathan in that interview. He highlighted a couple guys in Jonathan David, his namesake, and Tejan Buchanan, who he expects will really explode um, and have their true breakout moments at the World Cup. As our resident Lagun connoisseur, did I did I put enough of a French accent on that? That was uh, perfect. Thank you. Parfait, monsieur. <laughs> and someone who has seen David linked pretty heavily with your boys, the Arsenal. Outside of Canada and France, I don't think people realize just how good this guy is, do they? Yeah, that's right, John Luca. He has been operating in relative obscurity in France's top division with Lille, where he is in great form with nine league goals, which is second to PSG pairing Neymar and Kylian Mbappe, who uh, perhaps you've heard of them. They're okay. They, they're not bad. Yeah, they're okay. Um, and you mentioned earlier, um, or you sort of questioned what Herdman's going to do with that front line with the attack, uh, the attacking players in the squad. Well, uh, Jonathan David gives him a very welcome headache because he can play in that sort of de facto striker, the number nine role where I believe David would prefer to play, uh, or he can sort of uh, slot into a right-sided position where he can use, you know, deft dribbling skills, but he's really, really good at cutting in from that right side mm-hmm. uh, and from making runs from deep positions into sort of attacking one. So uh, his ability to demand attention on that right side should also provide a little bit of balance and take a little bit of the pressure off that left side, which Canada can kind of uh, lean that way quite heavy when Alfonso Davies is seeing a lot of the ball. So I think David's versatility is a really, really strong point. And like you said, he's been linked with Liverpool, Arsenal. I think I read something today about Real Madrid 
Madrid, which whatever. But Benzema's I, not going to be around forever, man. This is true. <laughs> um, so this is sort of David's moment on the world stage, which it is for a lot of his teammates. But uh, I think it's really going to be a big moment for him. And I think you know, the world is going to see his attacking virtues and what he brings to the table. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we heard Jonathan say exactly that. Like, people are starting to to catch on here, but they're still they're still not fully recognizing just how talented this guy is. And it's no coincidence that he's being linked with these enormous clubs. Uh, and I think the sky is absolutely the limit for him. And he's a really quiet guy who who gives really thoughtful and unassuming interviews. And I don't think he has the same maybe star power that someone of Alfonso's Davies ilk does. But that doesn't take anything away from his skill set. And, and uh, he's just a really, really wonderful player. And I hope he has a great tournament. 100%. And, um, you know, as for Buchanan, who, like I said, Jonathan also mentioned, I just love the confidence that that this guy plays with. In the sense that, you know, whenever he's on the ball, especially one-on-one, he's going to run at his defender. You're going to get these lightning step overs, body feints, and he's always going to try and make something happen all the time. Uh, he's not the kind of player who will make these moves in vain and then kind of pass the ball backwards type thing, you know? Like, he's going to run at his defender. It's not arrogance, but there's this inner belief that, like, look, I'm going to size you up one-on-one, and I'm just better than you. I'm quicker. I'm more explosive. And there's nothing you can do about it. We've seen it in the Champions League with Club Bruges and even on a big stage against Atletico Madrid where he was taking on, um, you know, the vaunted Atletico Madrid defenders, the rugged Atletico Madrid defenders who are not having as great a season as they have in years past. But he was making a mockery of them and no stage, I think, is is too big for him. And so I think he has the potential to be a real X factor for this team, just like a guy that we mentioned in the first half of this show, somebody who also fits that mold. Again, we've talked about him a lot off the air. Ishmael Kone, 20-year-old kid who, you know, wasn't even on the radar for this national team really at the start of the year. Didn't make his debut until March when he was called up. Suddenly now he's starring for CF Montreal um, and he just sort of oozes class when he plays. That's the best way I can describe him. He's so smooth on the ball. It looks like he's been doing this for 20 years And again, just a 20-year-old kid. He's so composed, elite, elite skill level. Maybe this World Cup comes slightly too early for him. And we're looking ahead to 2026 when his star is really in the ascendancy um, at its highest point. But I think, again, with the the concerns about the center midfield areas that you mentioned earlier, there are going to be spots where John Herdman can use Kone. Look at the way Carlo Ancelotti, for example, at Real Madrid last season, used Eduardo Camavinga, another young rising star. Didn't start every game. Obviously, you have Modric and, and Casemiro and Cruz there, so it's going to be tough to break into that squad um, from a starting lineup perspective. But he came in and he changed games off the bench, and we saw it, especially in the Champions League, where he gave Real Madrid greater control in midfield and, and single-handedly almost turned some of those games around when they had those incredible comebacks, which became the norm for them. Uh, last year on the way to to winning that Champions League title, their 14th. I think Kone can be used in a very similar way, not to say that they're the same player, they have same skill sets, they're different, but within the makeup of this team, I think there's an opportunity for him to play a very similar role and really be one of the true breakout stars here. Um, And as we mentioned earlier, a a little clip here to play about Ishmael Kone. Our very own Daniel Rouse caught up with Rocco Placentino, former Canadian international, and the current technical director at CS St. Laurent, Ishmael Coney's youth club in Quebec, 
Uh, it's just a very short clip, but I think it, it says a lot about the way people who have interacted with this player view him and the heights that they think he can reach. I think what he achieved this year with the CFM, uh, first year as a professional soccer player, uh, being a huge impact and a, an important role on the CFM team is, is already something huge because he's 20 years old. And uh, he was also nominated for one of the you know top players of uh, under 20 players of uh, the MLS. Um, who knows? I, I think he wants to go to Europe. Uh, I remember when he signed his contract with CFM, a week later he told me, my dream is still to go play soccer in Europe. So who knows where he will end up, but it, it all depends on what happens at the World Cup, right? Because all eyes are on the World Cup. Like not, not all eyes are on the MLS. And even though, you know, there was clubs like, uh, like uh, Norwich and uh, Sheffield United that were eyeing him, um, I think there's going to be a bigger opportunity that if he does go to the World Cup and does perform – you know, Premier League clubs after him. Maybe there'll be, you know, uh, uh, top clubs after him. Who knows? You know, it, it all depends on him, uh, really, right? So at the end of the day, it's, uh, he's, he's being put on the biggest stage in the world. And, and I'm telling you, one thing that we've all noticed with him is that whatever stage he's on, he doesn't, doesn't care about the crowd. He just does what, he, he does what he's got to do. And he's been making it look very easy, which is, and he's not the perfect player. He makes tons of mistakes like all the players do. But it, the good thing he does, he does them really well. So if he could do the same thing at at the World Cup, you know, who knows? Who knows? I just wish the best for the kid. I really do. All right, there you go. Thank you very much to Rocco. Uh, Daniel Rouse was able to catch up with him. He's got a piece coming out on Ishmael Kone um, using more of that interview. So you'll get to hear more from Rocco. I mean, we lost the dulcet tones of Anthony Lopopolo on this episode, but we gained Rocco. Italy may not be in the World Cup, but the Italian connection remains strong as ever on this show. And at least we mention that every single episode. <laughs> I think that's the third time in three episodes. But shout out to Rocco. Batting a thousand. Shout out to Rocco. Appreciate his time. Sounds like a good guy. Kind of guy I wouldn't mind having an espresso with. Or uh, what was the one? Tancredi Palmieri? The Espressino. Yeah. Nutella along the wall of the cup. There's no really time. Um, it sounds great. <laughs> I love that clip with Rocco because you can hear how excited he is in his voice about Ishmael's future. He truly wants him to succeed. And and like I've said before, he thinks the sky is really the limit. We saw it with Davies, you know, how many teams regret not jumping ahead of Bayern to get on the Alfonso Davies train there. And I think this is another case where if top clubs in Europe don't make their move now, they're going to be kicking themselves in the really near future when Kone becomes one of the game's hottest midfield properties. And that's no disrespect to like Norwich and, and you know Sheffield United, who we've seen him linked with in the January window. A move there, I think, with Sheffield United was, was very close and just fell apart at the end. The aspirations for him are going to be much, much, much higher. The ceiling is much, much, much higher. Um, and it, it's just going to be fun. I hope he gets some minutes here at the World Cup, and I hope he gets the chance to really express himself out on the pitch there because this guy is so, so talented. But large up to Sheffield United, the Blades, they have a club song, which is about the chip butty, which for the those that don't know is essentially French fries on a bun, which might seem pretty basic and uncultured. But It's the British equivalent to, to poutine. It's the closest thing they have, I guess, it's right? It's delicious to me. There you go. We're bringing it all back to Canada with the poutine. It was uh, a great episode. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying we'll it. We'll see what Greg cuts out of it. But <laughs> shout outs also to our uh, skilled editor, Greg. 
giving me cut eye right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chandler, before we kind of wrap up here, look, we've talked about a lot of young players that are going to play a key role for Canada this winter in Qatar. That sort of has the potential to be a double-edged sword. You know, there's that that youthful exuberance and enthusiasm playing without fear on the one side because they don't know any different. But, you know, then there is a certain know-how and a calmness that comes with having been there, having done that. I go back to Real Madrid, maybe the greatest example that we've ever seen at club level in recent years. They just seem to have this magic dust. They know how to get out of tight situations. Um, it's one of these intangibles that you like to talk about, but they just know how to win. You don't have that really with these young teams who have not been there before. So are there any concerns there about Canada or do you think that youth will actually be one of their greatest attributes? Yeah. You know, I love my intangibles uh, and I kind of <laughs> don't go come here for the analytics. <laughs> yeah. Yo, what's expected I'm, goals? I'm team XG over here, but Chandler less so. I have no expected goals on the pitch or in life. Uh, but to track back to something Anthony said on the second episode, um, that match where Canada went into Mexico City and drew 1-1 with Mexico at the uh, at the uh, feared Azteca Stadium. And after the match, John Herdman was asked, are you disappointed with the point? And he loved, loved, loved that question. Uh, and that sort of self-belief, one of the most important of all intangibles when it comes to sports, self-belief, it trickles down from the manager. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned earlier about how the way Tejan Buchanan goes out there, balls to the wall and try to win every single duel. And Kone has a little bit of that in his game. And I I don't think we can confuse or I don't think we should confuse Canada's youthful confidence with naivety. Mm-hmm. And they've performed at a big level against the likes of Mexico and the U.S. They did lose 2-0 to Uruguay, but I thought they played quite well and really they did. Yeah, grew they did. into the performance. So that was a big barometer of what's to come. Less so friendlies against Qatar uh, and the one against Bahrain, which is upcoming. But um, I, I just think we have to look at it as a positive. And sure, they might lose handily to Belgium, but I think they're going to go out there and play sort of an elegant and stylish version of football that suits their skill set and and not shrink uh, in the moment. Absolutely. Like this team is not going to be overawed in any way, I don't think. Even if it, it's a stage, or of course it's a stage that none of them have been on before of uh, this level, uh, this magnitude, this much attention. I don't think any of them are going to be uh, fearful of it. And I think, like you said, they're going to go out and they're going to play their game. And you know what? At the end of the day, maybe Belgium is too much for them. Maybe Croatia is too much for them. But this is not a team that's going to go there. And I think you used the perfect word. They're not going to shrink. They're going to step up to the moment. Ultimately, um, maybe talent wins out with some of these other teams with Belgium and Croatia, but they are not going to be afraid of anybody in Qatar. And I think you saw that through qualification and you're going to see it again once the World Cup proper rolls around. Which is just days away. Starting to feel the uh, catch the fever? I am. I have the full football fever. Uh, John Luca, I just wanted to take a moment to shout out to our listeners. This is our third episode. If you stuck with us through episodes one and two, episode one, I was really slow to start, but I've kind of <laughs> gathered steam like a grain of rice here. So uh, I just want to thank all our listeners and to uh, stay tuned because we have a lot of uh, exciting things on the horizon. A hundred percent. I think we're really, really excited about what's to come. More interviews, uh, match previews. Like I said, off the top of the show, we're really going to get into the uh, the nitty gritty, I like that term, of this tournament and, and breaking down individual tactics and matches and recaps. And there's just a lot more to come here. And as we said, off the very top of this series, we hope it is a really long run. Um, maybe Canada surprises a few teams and we're doing this right up until December 18th. Who knows? That's a, that'll be a nice Christmas present for all of us. I love that attitude, John Luca. Finish on a high note. 
we try, we try, right? We're trying. Um, all right, that is the perfect place to wrap up today's show and to tee up episode four, where we'll have a big old tournament preview for you. We'll break down Group F in detail, give our predictions uh, for Canada, and we'll look at the World Cup as a whole. You know, what are we most excited about? Who's going to flop the hardest? <clears throat> Belgium. <clears throat> uh, you know, breakout stars to watch. Uh, who do we think is actually going to win this thing in mid-December? So a lot more coming on episode four. That hits the airwaves November 17th on all of your favorite platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. So look out for that one later this week. But for now, that'll do it for us. Today's episode was brought to you by Pathways Alliance. Climate change is a critical challenge, so Canada's six largest oil sands companies have joined forces on a path to net zero. See how at pathwaysalliance.ca. Thank you very much to Michael Chandler. My pleasure. To our amazing producer, Greg. And most importantly, thank you guys very much for listening. We'll talk soon. 